the Thoughts from a Page podcast, where I interview authors about their latest works. Listen to what inspired the storyline, how their covers and titles were chosen, their personal connection to the story, and other fascinating tidbits about the authors themselves. My name is Cindy Burnett, and I love to talk about books. If you have any comments, questions you want me to ask authors, or feedback from me personally, feel free to contact me through my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. Also, check out the new holiday book gift list that I recently posted on the blog section of my site if you are in need of a present for a loved one, close friend, co-worker, or even a gift exchange. Today, I am interviewing Sharon Harrigan. Sharon is the author of the new novel, Half, and the memoir, Playing with Dynamite. She has a BA in English from Barnard College, Columbia University, and an MFA in creative writing from Pacific University. She teaches writing at Writer House in Charlottesville, where she lives with her family. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome, Sharon. I am really looking forward to talking with you today. How are you? Oh, I'm great, Cindy. Thank you for having me. Well, I would love to hear all about your book, Half. Would you like to tell me a little bit about it? I would love to. Yeah, it came out in June of this year. It's my debut novel. I have a memoir that came out in 2017 called Playing with Dynamite, but this is my first book of fiction. And it's about two twin girls. And what makes it unusual, I think it does something that no other novel has done, at least I haven't heard of a novel that's done this, is that it tries to make the reader believe that these two girls and women can speak in one voice. So it uses a first-person plural narrator, a we voice, and there have been a lot of other we voice novels in the past, but often they're collective voices or the voice of a group or they're a voice of a group of people who we know are different people. In this case, we're really supposed to believe that they're thinking the same thoughts, they're doing the same things, that they are so much as one, that when their voice breaks apart, when they become separate people speaking for themselves, they really feel like they are broken in half. And that's where the name of the novel comes from. So it's a coming of age story. They recount these adults remembering their childhood beginning from age five, but it's also a little bit of a murder mystery. It begins, they've come home to Michigan for their father's funeral. They haven't seen them since they left for college and someone accuses them of killing their father. And they have to go through their childhood and collect evidence to find out what really happened. It's a story about intimacy about how intimate is it possible to be with another person. There's a lot that's very magical about it. And so people ask me if it's based on my life. I say, well, no, because these impossible things couldn't happen. But the seed of the novel did start with something autobiographical in that my brother and I were always very close growing up. He's a year and a half older than me. And we also, like the girls in the novel, had a traumatic experience when we were young In my case, my father died when I was seven. And so my brother and I had each other and we couldn't explain what was happening to us. We couldn't talk about our feelings, but with each other, we didn't have to talk. And sometimes it felt like we could read each other's minds, even though we couldn't, but we had a kind of secret language. And it seemed normal back then, but as I look back on it, it does feel kind of magical. The way that we can bond with someone else and take refuge with someone else as a way to protect ourselves through difficult times, difficult childhoods. Did you talk with him before you decided to write the story? So the the novel grew out of a short story, and he had read the short story before I turned it into a novel. It's funny because he responded by 
telling me it made him cry. And when I asked what he meant, he said, I remember, I remember what you're writing about. And I, and I protested. I said, no, it's fiction. I wrote a memoir, but that's not what this is. And he said, well, you caught the experience of what it felt like. Oh, I love that. And, you know, people always say that when you write what you know, it really comes across and that that's the good place to start. So it sounds like even though you weren't necessarily reflecting on your own life, you were kind of writing what you know. Yeah, writing the emotion, I guess. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Well, what do you hope your readers take away from the book? So I had one reader. She said that she's, I think she's 80 years old at this point. She's a bookseller at a bookstore in Kalamazoo where I did one of my readings. And she said after she read my book, it made her realize how much she misses her brother, who she's been estranged from. And she hadn't talked to him for years. But after seeing both the rewards of being so close to someone and also the risks and how hard it is to be close to someone who you grow up with. She decided to contact her brother and they are now in, in uh, they have that connection again. So she, she said, your, your novel changed my life. But I guess I, I want them to think about empathy. I think what's happening in the world today, especially makes us have to put ourselves in someone else's shoes and try to imagine what, what life is like for someone else, what someone else feels like. And to try to, fiction can get readers into other people's heads. That's something that's really amazing. And once you're in someone's head, it's really hard not to empathize with that person. You really see how he or she sees the world. So I really want to show these two characters getting in each other's heads and let readers think about how their relationships with other people are in that way and how they could maybe try harder to get into other people's heads and to understand other people and especially people who are different from them. Well, certainly empathy comes from understanding. I completely agree with that. And until you have some idea of what someone else is going through or at least try to understand it, it's a lot harder to empathize. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and there are some difficult characters in my book, too, and most notably the father, who the twins are really trying to understand part of a big part of why they're revisiting their childhood memories is they want to understand exactly what if what they did to their father was justified and what exactly he did to them. And it's an exercise in trying to see if it's possible to have empathy for a character who has done bad things. And to try to understand someone who has hurt you and not to give too much away. But in the end, the girls do break apart. Their wee voice becomes the I and I because they have very different responses to trying to understand their father. And it's easy to look at him as a villain, but one of them is able to really see him as a, as a, his humanity. Well, I always think that the reason that people write about family so much is because it's the most complicated relationship. So whether you have something happen to you by someone you're not related to, a lot of times you're going to be a lot less likely to repair it. But because you're tethered to someone by blood, whatever the relationship is, sibling, parent, it's just much more complicated than just a simple friendship. Yes. And the twins think that they can put their past behind them, put their family behind them and go off and live a a new life. But as a lot of readers have said, family is something that is always with us. And and no matter how hard we try to to be our own person, we're always kind of haunted by uh, where we came from, who we came from. 
Absolutely. And I also think that the relationships we have when we're young are so much simpler and less complicated than the relationships we have as adults. Yes. And so if you take something that's simpler, it's easier to see the the truths, right? And then it's kind of amplified. And so that's what's so appealing about writing about childhood. I think it's so vivid and it looms so large for all of us. I agree completely. But it also is just so much less pressure. There's so much less you have to think about as a child, the responsibilities. It's just a simpler time than when you, you grow up and you've got a lot more you're having to focus on. It is and it isn't. I mean, I think it's the, my book opens up with these five-year-olds who are nostalgic for what they, a simpler time in that they're pretending that they're babies. When they say I'm half years old, they mean they're pretending that they're six months old. So yes, the younger they are, the simpler things are. But I think that even, even small children, because they don't understand so much, the world is scary because it's inexplicable. And I think because they don't have control, that they don't always know what's going to happen. And especially in an environment like the one in my book, where danger is always possible. I think it might seem simple from the outside, or it might seem innocent, but I'm really trying to get also to the dark side of childhood and how scary it can be. I remember being five years old and telling myself I wouldn't forget um, how scary it felt to be a child and how helpless. And I was trying to get to that feeling that's still quite vivid. That is true. If you're experiencing a a situation where you do feel like danger could always be present, that's a completely different dynamic. And and you're right, with no control as a child, that can be a lot scarier because you're not exactly sure how to handle it or what to do. Well, I would love to hear a little bit about the title. How did you come up with the title for this one? The whole book, which, as I said, started from a story, started with the first scene in chapter one with these five-year-olds pretending to be babies. And it came from that line, which my brother and I used to say to each other, how old are you? I'm half two. Yeah, at first, at first we met, he'd been alive six months, just half a year later, half no longer stood for anything, half empty, half full. It's a weird title. People often are waiting for me to say like half of what? (laughs) Um, And there have been a lot of jokes. They send somebody something in an email. It's like, here's half. Well, when are you going to give me the other half? Will you read half? (laughs) Yeah, I'll read it and let me know when the other half is ready. So it seemed like a little bit of a risky title. And I kept trying other titles and this one kept drawing me back. Well, I love the way it's done on the cover where it's sideways. And I love that cover. Did you have a say in that? Oh, I love the cover too. I was so glad that the publisher didn't ask me for any input on the title because I'm so pleased with the result. When I got the email, they said we had lots of different versions, but we voted on them and this is the one we like the best. And I love it because when you first look at it, it looks like it's the face of one person. You've got two eyes, two eyebrows. But when you look more closely, you see that it's two people, two women whose pens are right next to each other. And we've just got one eye from each of them. So we've got half of each of their faces, which makes one whole that looks like it's one person. And that's what the book is, two people as one. I think it's the perfect representation of your story. So tell me about your publishing journey. Yeah, it's a pretty circuitous journey, but I guess a lot of writers say that that's the case for them too. So I wrote the story a long time ago. It was in uh, 2013. It won the Key West Literary Seminars Prize for short story. So that was exciting. They flew me to Key West in January. And then I submitted it to a few places and it was, it was accepted pretty quickly, which was also a good sign by a magazine, a 
a literary journal called Pleiades. And then later it won the prize, the Kinder Prize for best story that year for Pleiades. So I started to think that this is a story that had some potential. And the story spanned a long period of time, 25 years, just like the novel does. It had the same beginning when they're five and the end when they're at their father's funeral and they have their own five-year-old children. And so I thought, well, since it has a novel length like Red's, I could expand it into a novel, which of course sounds a lot easier than it was, but I did. And in, in between that time, I started writing my memoir, which I had felt like I had to do because there are people I had to talk to while they were still alive. So I put aside the story, still wanted to make it into a novel, wrote the memoir, published the memoir. And then I picked up this idea again in 2015. And I wrote a draft that is about the same length as, as the final one is now. And I sent it to my agent and was very excited about it. And she said, oh yeah, this is such an unusual kind of structure. You're doing a lot of innovative things, which of course makes it tricky to sell. But I had a manuscript kind of that was also doing innovative things. And I sold it to a pretty good publisher after about, oh, I don't know, five to seven drafts. And uh, I get this email back and I'm like, I don't say, I say, thank you very much. And in my head, I'm thinking, no way. Are you out of your mind that I'm going to do seven drafts? So yeah, long story short, five to seven drafts later, she says it's it's ready. And she sent it out. As I said, it is a unusual structure. You have to make a leap of faith that to even imagine that two people could speak in one voice. So eventually she wasn't able to send to to sell it to a big commercial publisher and told me that I could send it out on my own, which I did. And I was attracted to the University of Wisconsin Press because of some of the recent books that they'd put out, notably short stories by Jesse Luke Kirchival, whose, whose work also seemed to me like it was taking structural and stylistic risks and I thought totally pulled them off. And so it seemed like they had an aesthetic that would make them welcoming to my kind of book. That turned out to be true. It also, I had sent it out to the AWP novel award every year. They give awards to the best novel, short story collection and poetry collection. And it was the finalist for that. So it did get, and it has been getting quite a bit of attention. It got a starred review and book list. It got a summary of reviews and Publishers Weekly and Ford and New York Journal of Books and places like that. I think someone called it like a little powerhouse of a novel. I've always known it's kind of not going to be the easy thing that people are going to reach for because it's a little bit different. I've been happy with the attention it's gotten in University of Wisconsin Press. It's been fantastic. As you can see, the cover is beautiful. I think the book itself is beautiful, the typeset. And then publishing in a pandemic is has, has really been unprecedented for everyone, having to have books come out when bookstores are closed. But a lot of authors have binded together to support each other. And I think I've spent the pandemic reading I've been reading so many books by other authors who are publishing during this time when the bookstores are closed, when, when live events are canceled. So that's that kind of act of solidarity has also been a beautiful thing. I do think that's been the silver lining of the pandemic is watching all these author groups come together and support each other so much. And then also just learning all this online technology. You're really able to reach more people online than you would be in person. There's nothing that can replace in-person events, but it has been a nice thing to be able to see Zoom events, Facebook Live events. I can see authors that I wouldn't normally be able to hear them speak about their books. Oh, it's been fantastic. I've been able to go to so many virtual events 
that really has been my pandemic experience and me cheering on all your authors and then and then going on Goodreads and Amazon and writing them nice reviews because that's important too. That's something that we can do. And I think we rely more on that, that kind of publicity than when we weren't in a pandemic. Well, I've always used Goodreads as sort of my go-to. If I hear about a new book that I'm not familiar with, that's the first place I go and read the reviews and kind of see what people have to say about it. And your book has fabulous reviews on Goodreads. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I've been lucky. Well, no, I mean, it's it's because it's a good book, but it's just nice that people go on and, and review it. Well, talking about that, tell me some books you would recommend, some of the things you've read that you really liked. Yeah, well, I will mention just a few of the books that came out during the pandemic. Someone um, on Twitter the other day said, how about this year? We just don't do best of the year, end of the year lists. And we just give everybody who managed to publish during the pandemic a big gold star because <laughs> you did it. And I really do kind of feel like that. A lot of books that came out during this time, they won't get the same attention, but we should try to shine more light on them as much light on them as we can. And, and I read a whole bunch, but I'm just going to give you a list of a few here. There's a great short story collection by Mary South called I Will Never Forget You. It's kind of like Ishiguro's Never Let You Go crossed with the TV show Black Mirror, very much about you know inter- internet culture gone wild and, and what it's doing to us. Um, another it's a novel called You Again by Deborah Immergut, which is a really wonderful literary slash thriller slash supernatural book about a woman who sees her younger self. She's haunted by her younger self, literally. The Book of the Little Axe by Lauren Francis Sharma is a really, really beautiful book of historical fiction that follows a family from Trinidad in the early American West. Pale Morning Light with Violet Swan by Deborah Reed, which just came out. It was originally slated for June, but her publisher, like a number of publishers, decided to push publication further and uh, have it come out in the fall with the idea that seems, I don't know, it was a good idea back then, that by now uh, bookstores would be open again. The Heart and Other Monsters, which is an amazing memoir, debut memoir by Rose Anderson about her sister's suicide when she was in her 20s. I Have the Answer, the short story collection by Kelly Forden. Her stories are set in Detroit and in other parts of Michigan. And The Fear of Everything by John McNally, wonderful book of short stories. So it's been really great to be able to go to the Zoom events for these authors, and I wouldn't have been able to go to a lot of them in person. So that's been a thrill, and it's been fun for people to be able to come to my events who normally wouldn't be able to. I think my mom came to everyone. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good mom. (laughs) You, again, keeps catching my attention. And I haven't read it yet, but I see it periodically or somebody will mention it. And I I think, oh, yes, I want to read that one. And I'm not familiar with the others. So now I've got a long list of books I can go look up. Yeah. Oh, You, again, is so good. I actually met Deborah Immergut at VCCA Virginia Center for the Creative Arts like not that long before the pandemic started. And there's a tradition that the fellows read before the in front of the fireplace a little bit and she was reading from this book and I was just mesmerized by it and couldn't wait to get the the ARC when it was ready. Okay, then I'm going to have to pick that one up. Well, I really appreciate your time and I thank you so much for joining me on the Thoughts from a Page podcast. It's been a delight to talk with you about half. Oh, it's been so fun. Your questions are fantastic. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you like this episode, and I hope you did, 
Please follow me on Instagram at Thoughts From A Page. Tell all of your friends about the podcast and rate it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would greatly appreciate it. Sharon's book can be purchased at Murder by the Book, where I work part-time, and the link is in the show notes. Thanks to KP Regan for the sound editing, and I hope to see you next time. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the facts from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.